Hear now a reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. It's one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a follow-up sermon I preached last month, which was entitled, What Have You Done For Me Lately?, which was focusing on the whole topic of gratitude. I love Steve Hartman. And he's the perennial feature storyteller on CBS News, if you don't know him, who produces the segment On the Road with Steve Hartman each week. He always does the feel-good stories, a type of good news which we long to hear, but which the viewing public only wants in small doses. And we know all too well that it's often the negative news which sells. A few years ago, Hartman did an update to a segment he had done about a man named Chris Rosati, who was from Durham, North Carolina. Now, Chris was 42 years old at the time and had ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. The first segment told about Rosati's mission to bring a smile to people's faces by passing out thousands and thousands of Krispy Kreme donuts every day. For those of you who don't know, I actually lived in the town, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where Krispy Kreme had its first store. I lived there from ages 10 to 25, and I used to go and watch the donuts go off the conveyor belt. If you've never had one of their glazed donuts right off the conveyor belt, you've missed one of the great wonders of the world. <laughs> In the follow-up segment, Rosati, who was a self-employed marketing professional, continued his mission of bringing smiles to others. By that later segment, he had made a documentary called The Blessings of My Disease. And he used what time he had left to interview others with ALS, exploring an interesting idea. Why, they say, they should not be pitied, but envied in a way. They were not asking the question, why me? But they were looking at the blessing in the midst of their circumstances, which according to them allowed them to see the world and the people in their lives in a much deeper way than those without their condition. Of this newest effort, he said, if I can't influence somebody, then it's it's, his disease, is all a waste. That's a difficult attitude to have for many of us, isn't it? Chris Rosati died a few years later at the age of 46, but his legacy still lives on. A clergy friend of mine shared with me one of the, a conversation that one of his parishioners had with him. 
And he said, the parishioner said, I just want a little justice and some happiness. Well, my colleague told him, it doesn't work that way. In a roundabout way, he told him that the pursuit of happiness, of worldly happiness, is the byproduct of blessing. Blessing comes from giving, and giving is grace from God. Grace is unmerited favor that showers over us whether we deserve it or not. It all comes down to grace, blessing and grace. So let's put that into context of this morning's gospel lesson. One of the most famous passages in, in the entire Bible, the Beatitudes, which is, begin, is the beginning of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And one note, scholars say that while this was preached up on a hill, the significance is not that everyone climbed up to listen to Jesus high on a mountain. It's a metaphor that the mount was to bring importance to the event and in, in this case, the sermon, in comparison, for example, to Moses, who got the tablets on Mount Sinai. The Beatitudes is actually seen as Jesus' version of the law in the Hebrew text, which includes the Ten Commandments given to the children of Israel. But as you see, this is not a list of rules of what to do and not to do. These pertain to matters of the heart. The word blessed or blessed does not mean happy in the way we know it. To be blessed in this text means that we are included in God's kingdom. For in Matthew's community, there, were, it, there was both internal and external conflict. Through the Beatitudes, Matthew assures the community that while life may be extremely difficult, those who endure can look forward to another realm. To say that they are blessed doesn't mean that they are happy, but as they remain faithful, they can look forward to a future and feel secure. They're blessed. But are the Beatitudes the blessings we, in this day and age, really want? Really, who wouldn't rather be rich than poor, elated than grieving, self-assured than meek? And who wouldn't rather be right than hunger for righteousness. Those are what we're told are the ingredients for successful living in this day and age, right? We have so much power and control at our fingertips to get what we want in the world right now, it can be intoxicating, can't it? But the possibility of so much control can set us up to be vulnerable to disappointment when, and I say, when we lose it. Power and control ultimately are only illusions in the long run, aren't they? The blessings Jesus names in the Beatitudes are, are a reversal of the world's conventional wisdom and values. At first glance, the statements made in the Sermon of the Mount can be almost quite intimidating, right? After all, who could possibly be all of those things? The, under, the understandable response might be, to heck with it all anyway, why even try? But that misses the point of the passage. This first sermon in Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel isn't about what we should try to become or a command to what we must become. 
It is composed of statements of what already is and what results when people act in certain ways. And it's different in its wording and its intent from Luke's message. For example, Luke says, blessed are the poor, not the poor in spirit. Matthew spiritualizes it in a different way. The message is timeless. Just like the people sitting listening to Jesus, we too are blessed. We are particularly blessed when we show certain types of attitudes and behaviors. Now, a side point needs to be made here, however, so that no one interprets the Beatitudes as setting up a situation of abuse. All of them need to be taken in a totality. For instance, the text is not meant to spiritualize someone being bullied, for example. If we single out blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth alone, that might tell people to take it and just be happy. Blessed are those who are persecuted implies that they are taking action to stand up against injustice. But in that action, they need to know that they are blessed. I read a story in the magazine, Christian, The Christian Century, about Gerald Sitster, a college professor of a school in Washington State. He wrote about what happened in his life after an accident killed his mother, his wife, and one of his little girls. He said that people would come up to him in, in shock and anger and doubt and say, why you? Your family appeared so ideal. This tragedy is a terrible injustice. If it can happen to you, it can happen to any of us. Now, no one is safe. Why you, why me, why anyone? There are questions asked by many of us when we encounter something horrific in life. A woman is killed by a drunk driver. A father loses his job and can't support his family. A child gets cancer. Tens of thousands are wiped out in one storm alone. Our human response might be, why me? Why them? What did they do to deserve this fate? The answer is, Nothing. They didn't do anything to deserve things. Sidester asked himself those questions too, he said. Why did the loss happen to us? Why at such a young age? Why after trying so hard to keep the marriage together? Why in the prime of life? Why just before retirement? He said, as he worked through his own feelings and grief, he reflected, why me? Seems like the wrong answer, he said. Why not me? It's closer to the mark, he said. Loss is no more a respecter of persons and position than good fortune is. There's no rhyme or reason to the misery of some and to the happiness of others. The problem of living, of expecting to live in a perfectly fair world is there is no grace in that world. For grace is only grace when it's undeserved. He says, I did not deserve to lose three members of my family, but then I'm not sure I deserve to have them in the first place. That's profound. 
After weighing in on the depth of spirituality which has come in the years since the accident, Sister says, to live in a world of grace is better by far than to live in a world of absolute fairness. A fair world might make life nice for us, but only as nice as we are. We might get what we deserve, but I wonder how much of that is, how much that is, and whether or not we would really be satisfied. A world with grace will give us more than we deserve. Wow. The Beatitudes tells us we've been given grace. We're already blessed. In fact, Beatitude literally means supreme blessedness or grace. Those who are poor in spirit have grace. Those who mourn have grace. The merciful have grace, and so on. Still, there are those who don't want to dwell there. It's too painful to be in those more difficult places. So they may shift the language to something more palatable with positive and action-oriented language. That kind of sentiment inspired the likes of the Be Happy Attitudes, if you know of those, by Robert Schuller. Now, this is not to knock Schuller, but only to highlight the pervading sentiment of a different perspective. For instance, Blessed are the poor in spirit becomes, I need help, I can't do it alone. Blessed are those who mourn becomes, I'm really hurting, I'm going to bounce back. Blessed are the meek becomes, I'm going to remain cool, calm, and corrected. Blessed are those who hunger and search for righteousness, I really want to do the right thing. Blessed are the merciful becomes, I'm going to... I'm going to treat others the way I want others to treat me. Blessed are the pure in heart becomes, I've got to let the faith flow free through me. Blessed are the peacemakers becomes, I'm going to be a bridge builder. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake becomes, I can choose to be happy anyway. The scripture I read does not offer such blessings. Jesus holds up blessedness that heals hurts and transforms sorrows. But this is not the glory of winning or necessarily of being happy. Experiencing grace goes much, much deeper. Conventional wisdom turned upside down by the gospel message. That's how you know it's of God. Loss is painful. Cancer ravages. Violence erupts. Divorce devastates. Unemployment frustrates. And death comes, whether we like it or not. Rather than why me, why not me? For in the midst of those times, we find that we have long before been blessed. And that those times are ripe for grace experienced in a way we may not have felt before then. Living in that reality with that attitude is a human equalizer. The good news is that the message in the Beatitudes isn't uniquely Christian. Remember, there weren't Christians then at that time, only followers of Jesus. So Jesus was actually speaking to Jews, and the ideas are Jewish in origin. The message was congruent with the message of the Torah. Think about the text in Micah 6, 1 through 8 
What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The values at the core of the Sermon on the Mount are shared by people sitting in modern-day synagogues and temple, as well as in churches. There was a wonderful piece on July 2nd in the New York Times written by Rabbi David Wolpe, who is the Max Webb Emeritus Rabbi of Sinai Temple. It's called, As a Rabbi, I've Had a Privileged View of the Human Condition. He says this, After 26 years in the rabbinate, as I approach retirement, I have come to several realizations. All of us are wounded and broken in one way or another. Those who do not recognize it in themselves or in others are more likely to cause damage than those who realize and try to rise through the brokenness. He continues, this is what binds together a faith community. No religious tradition, certainly not my own, looks at an individual and says, there, you're perfect. It is humility and sadness and striving that raises us, doing good that proves the tractability of the world and its openness to improvement, and, that, and faith that allows us to continue through the shared valleys. Something else about the Beatitudes. After this sermon, Jesus expected the crowds to be ready for ministry. They had what they needed to equip them to go out and serve with great significance. The words also gave them an interpretive key so that they would have words for what they were experiencing in the ministry which was already unfolding. When they encountered someone who was marginalized, they could bring them the good news that they were already blessed, that the kingdom of heaven is theirs, that they would be comforted. Going back to Sinister, he says, can I expect to live an entire lifetime free of disappointment and suffering, free of loss or pain? The very expectation, he says, strikes me not only as unrealistic, but also as arrogant. But in my view, that is the seductive way we are lulled into believing, isn't it? If we believe a certain way or, a certain, or act a certain way or live in a certain area, we will be free of suffering. But that's not the gospel. And that does not allow in the sunlight of a grace-filled life. We can't explain the good things just as we can't explain the painful things in our lives. We don't have control over the families into which we're born, or when we are born, or whether we're born into a poor family in a developing country or a rich family in the first world. Life happens. But our attitudes and our actions towards others are the great equalizer of all people and will reflect whether we have accepted the grace which undergirds our relationship with God in any situation. Are we living blessed lives or are we trying to avoid the blessings which come with hardship as well as success? Famed preacher Barbara Brown Taylor says it a bit more bluntly. You are loved, act like it. You are redeemed, act like it. You are a saint, act like it. Become what you already are and you will be blessed with every breath you take. 
That's why I've called this sermon the B attitudes. Indeed, we are all deeply blessed. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen.